Welcome to Porsche Pattern with Bracken Helms, the show where we hear Bracken and his distinguished guests from the Porsche community patter on about Porsches and all things automotive. Porsche Patter is sponsored by Circuit 64. Circuit 64 creates authentic automotive apparel made for like-minded automotive enthusiasts. The links for Circuit 64 are in the show notes. Okay, let's get to it. Okay, here's some more stories from Crazy Bill Patton. In this one, Bill talks about his connection to Garrettson Enterprise, his trips to Le Mans, and some stories he has with Paul Newman and Bobby Rahal. All right, here's Crazy Bill Patton. How did you get How did you get into Porsches? Uh, you know, I'll never forget that day as long as I live. I was with my dad, and I was, I think, 11 years old. And it was in the early 50s. I'm going to guess 53, because that would kind of equate with 11 and 12. And we were sitting at an intersection in Long Beach, California, and he pointed at a car across the street, and he said, you see that car? And I said, you mean that ugly, flat, little, roundish-looking thing? And he said, yeah. And it was, I, I don't know exactly what it was. It was probably a speedster, but it was a convertible, and it was a 356. He said, that's the finest car on earth. Well, I believed everything my dad said in spite of the fact that that car just looked like a flat Volkswagen to me. And so I paid attention to that. And later on, when you know I was in high school and all the other guys were lusting after Austin Healy's and, and other brands, I, I just had Porsche locked in my head. So uh, I went out and bought a 356 a week after divorcing my first wait, I'll take that back. After she divorced me, I went out and bought a 356, and 52 cars later, I'm not finished. Let's hear about the mosque story. The what? Mosque. Mosque? Yeah. Oh, are you talking about the, the license plate thing? <laughs> Have I told you all these stories? Oh, my God. I heard this one twice. Well, actually, I made are, you are tell me a second. about my license plate? Yeah. Okay, so in 75, I bought a brand new silver Carrera. This is the second year where it had any kind of a tail on it, and it was the first year of the whale tail, which made it a very distinguished-looking car, even more so than the year before when it had the whale or when it had the duck tail. So I'm trying, and silver, of course, is a traditional Porsche color. So I'm driving around in this port, and I said Carrera on the side. It was a gorgeous car, and it got tons of attention. I always liked personalized license plates. And my nickname in the club at the time was the Fuhrer, like Hitler. It uh, translates to leader. Fuhrer means leader. And it's not sinister until you associate Hitler's name with it. So I parked the car in front of a mosque one night, and I came out, and it had been keyed beyond belief. <laughs> and I sat in the car, and I thought to myself, okay, now there's stupidity. First of all, having a plate that's that, that's that aggressive, you should have known. I didn't. I didn't. But it, 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 the lesson was learned that it was an aggressive thing to put on a car, and then I parked it right in the wrong spot. So, and you know what? As mad as I was, I kind of couldn't blame those people because if the re if something reverse had been done, somebody had parked 
their car in front of my house and it said Patton's a turd, I probably would have keyed their car. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, I offended 13 million Jewish people at a, in a mosque and and they got me back for it. And and I don't blame them. I hate personalized plates. I love them. I, I've had, so you replaced it with something else, though. You went and changed it, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I got that plate off of the car the next day. Uh, I actually went to Stephanie uh, Anderson. Uh, she had a plate, uh, P-A-Y-I-N-G, paying. And I'd always wanted that plate, and I saw it on her car once. And I said, oh, my God, I want that plate. And I said, if you ever turn it in, I want it. So she phones me one morning, and she says, I'm going to DMV, and I'm turning in the plate. If you're there, it's yours. And I went and bought that plate. I still own it. I still own that plate. It says what? Paying. Like I'm paying for the car. P-A-Y-I-N-G. Yeah, you're paying for those keyed-up cars. <laughs> you're paying for your dumb yeah, I was, decision. I was, sure was paying. So you got any? Do you want to explain any of your controversial stories while at the Nugget? What is it? it's like the newsletter you know, for the uh, GGR or what? Golden it, Gate Region. It was, you know, the Nugget was the Golden Gate Region newsletter, and it was once a month, and and mine was a gossip column, and it was called Patent Place, and all I did was make jokes and fun of and criticize and harass the members of Golden Gate Region. And it was really funny because I got away with it. I, I so, could, so go ahead and tell me what the, you finally ended it because of one. Well, well was, let's talk about the one. Maybe uh, we don't have to say names. There was one story. I was on a roll, but I was also getting tired. And, I, and the, the article kept expanding because the more I wrote, the more people came to me with with stories. And the more I picked up by... And so it seemed like every month it was an inch longer. And I one day, one day I thought to myself, oh, my God, it's going to be as long as this table someday. And I, maybe I should quit and move on, but I couldn't. I was really motivated by how much fun I had the next day after it was published with people coming and saying, holy crap, what did you, was her butt that good? Because you know, I would say stuff like that. And it was published in a, in a, in a sports car club magazine. Well, the thing that ruined it all was there was a couple, I'll leave their names out, and they were, um, for lack of a better word, immense people. They were quite large, as human homo sapiens go. And they drove a 911, and I would venture to guess that between them, they were in a neighborhood of 660 pounds. Now, I don't know that it was 330 apiece or whether he was heavier, but the other funny thing about it was they were both short, 5'5 five, five and 5'3 five, or something like that, which expanded their horizontal beings. The funny part of this story is he himself, the guy, the husband, yeah. said to me the words that I printed. And I didn't say, is this on the record or is this, can I publish this or not? I, I wrote it down immediately. I'm going to say this. <laughs> he said it first, not me. I didn't make this up. And I wished I, I almost wished I had made it up because I had to quit over it 
without saying that he said it. I couldn't use that excuse. Okay, so what I said in the nugget was, I'm going to call them the Smiths. The Smiths are the only couple I know who have a 9-11 with flared doors. <laughs> now, in retrospect, it's kind of innocent, and, and you really have to think about it for a minute, but everybody knew who the Smiths were, and everybody knew that they were portly, <laughs> and everybody saw them getting in and out of that damn car, and that sometimes the doors wouldn't close, but they didn't know that him, he's the one that said to me, we have the only 9-11 with flared doors. Well, I published it, and he came up, they both came unglued publicly, really ripped me, and I was done. I, 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 I went to write the next article, and I, the pen just kept, I kept looking at the pen. I, I, you know, I've told this the story to a couple of people, and I say, well, why didn't you just say that he said it? And I said, well, that would be stupid, because now I'm defending myself for one thing. He can deny it for another. And what's the point? The, po the real point is, I can't write. It ruined it for me. I can't do it. I cannot pick up the pen and write that again. And that was the last one I ever wrote. I think I wrote one saying goodbye. Okay. How did you get linked in with Garrettson Enterprise? Well, both Bob Garrettson and Bruce Anderson were huge friends. And I don't know whether their friendship came first or Garrettson came first, but they were both. I, th I think the way that operation worked was that Garrettson was the money and Bruce was the, the hands and the, the hands-on guy. Garrettson didn't want anything to do with running a, running a thing, and so he financed it and Bruce ran it, and between them it was probably the best shop in the Bay Area. Yeah, I don't know. It, they just we should we should lay off of that subject. We don't want to go any further with that. Let me just tell you how I. So I I eventually I was in a position where I had to be careful about who I had work on my cars, because if I, I, I was playing favorites, and I had so many friends and and by this time some clients that were in those Porsche businesses, but I think Garrison Garrison was the first one who ever worked on any of my cars. Later on, there was Kaler and there was Ken's Technique and there was, you know, there were a bunch of them. As a matter of fact, I had four different mechanics at one point because I had four different cars and each one of them was a specialty. And so the 911 went to, you know, went to Garrison and the 356 went to this guy and so on and so forth. But that's how I was friends with all of those guys including the guys in the shop, Jerry and whatever, because they were all prominent, you know, PCA Golden Gate members. So it, really, it was just an intermingling of their, what they did versus our friendship. And so you're just, but like, how did it get to where they're inviting you? Well, our Ramon's thing was very interesting. I was, I wasn't going to go. Uh, 79, I was the, I was the secretary of Golden Gate Region, and I was running. I was going to run for president. I knew that if we could change the bylaws, uh, Mans is in June. You know, all of these friends of mine are going to Lamaze. I really want to go. And by this time, I had custody of my kids, so I was going to have to find a way to have somebody look after my kids for two or three weeks. It was just a big nightmare. So somebody called and said. 
if you if you go to Lama, there's a really special job waiting for you. So they were already trying to get you to go, and then this was like because they well, no, you didn't you didn't really have a job because you didn't know what you were going to do yet. Going to Lama would have meant I would have gone to Lama as a spectator and hung around the team. So would would they have paid your way? Oh no. Also, okay, keep no, going. No, no, no. When Barber called me and said, "You got to go. We want you to go." And um, so he did. He did have that secret job for me, the Newman one. Yeah. He said, "Go, go to World Airlines, and I've got it all lined up for you." So you didn't know before you got there. No, I didn't know. Oh. That. I didn't know that part. And so I go, I go, and he does. He has the whole thing lined up for me. I, as a matter of fact, part of the story, which I won't tell here because it's so long, is how deeply involved he had got me. I ended up on, I think, seven airplanes on my way to on my way to Lamont, and two trains, and four or five taxi cabs. And the only thing he missed was a boat, and and I and I ended up in the wrong place. I ended up in. There's two towns called Malacorn. They're near both near Le Mans, and I ended up in the wrong one. When you say he arranged it, are you talking about Dick Barber? So I went, and of course the drama of of hanging with Paul and sharing a trailer and all that kind of stuff was was pretty dramatic. Who'd have expected that? Okay, so let's go. Tell me some stories, or tell me about your time with Newman. Well, Newman. Apparently, he's just uh, from every you and everybody else. He's just a regular guy. <laughs> well, you, he could be doing this interview, and he wouldn't mind doing it. I mean, that he would say, "No, no, no, you're not going to interview me. I'll interview you." That was the, who he was. He was more interested in finding out what you know how what kind of a hamburger Jerry liked versus. Yeah, you told me he he was more apt to like wipe a car down if the mechanics asked him than even maybe some of the drivers. Well, uh, just to tell you how casual and easy he was, all the time I spent in that trailer with him, most of the time he was in a ratty white T-shirt that had no body to it. It was actually more of a dismal gray from having been through the washing machine 87 times and droopy jockey shorts, you know, Tidy whities or whatever you call them. Yeah. And I mean, it, I mean, it looked like this guy couldn't afford underwear, you know, but, and, and that's how he spent his time in the trailer. I mean, he wasn't like dressed pristinely in his race suit or, you know, in a pair of jeans or slacks or something. He was walking around that damn trailer in his jockey shorts and he didn't give a damn. And then he'd say, you up for some Gramenier crepes? And I'd say, yeah. And he'd say, here. And he'd hand me, she'd hand me a hundred dollars of French money and, and I'd go get them because he couldn't be seen in public. And we weren't in a hotel. We were, we were in a trailer, but it was associated with a hotel. He'd, for example, he'd go to the refrigerator and get two beers and pop them open and come and hand me a beer like it was, like he wasn't Paul Newman. I mean, it was, and, and he, he didn't talk about, he never ever wanted to talk about anything that had anything to do with his life except what it was like to be behind the wheel of a car. So, how, maybe you don't even know this, how did he even get on the team? I know that 
barber. Big well, barber. Easy. It's easy. Budweiser. And and it was because Dick Barber ran the race stream as a rent a ride. And so they're just like, oh, well, this Well, okay, there were four cars, and the Barber team managed three of them. And in those three cars, there were nine drivers. I'm assuming that three of the nine bought their rides, Newman being one. By buying it, I mean that Newman brought Budweiser, and Budweiser's name was all over the car. So what did he bring? 50 grand, 100 grand, a million? I don't know. I don't know what it cost, but Budweiser paid for Newman to drive that car. Now, did Barber initiate it? I don't know, because let's face it, having Paul Newman drive your car is a big honor, and it's going to get you a lot of attention, and it's going to get you other money. So those two guys coming together was like Newman tripping and falling into the best racing team on earth that just unfortunately lost and Barber tripping and falling into Newman's lap. It was just two guys tripping and falling into each other's laps and it was a perfect marriage. The fourth car was three rental guys. They all paid for their rides and they they managed their own deal that Garrison didn't manage that car. And so then the following year he said I'll pay for I'll, I'll pay your airfare, but you got to share. You got to share a room with whomever you're assigned to that night. So one night it would be somebody that I didn't even know. Another night it was uh, another night it was Garretson. You know, sharing a room with Garretson and Rahal isn't too shabby because you get to be with two famous people. Garretson was the champion of the entire world in endurance racing that year. And Ray Hall became Bobby Ray Hall, one of the greatest race drivers of all time. So you told me a story about both of them. I don't know if this was like within different years. No, same year. And you t- no, no, different year. You're right. The first year it was Garrettson. Right, seventy nine was, was Garrettson. Garrettson. And I shared a room with him the night before the race. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. And so the, it's the night before the race, and we've been out to dinner and. I think they started the race at noon that year instead of two or four. They started it two hours early because of something that was going on in France. And so, in spite of the fact that you're going to be in the biggest race on on Earth the following day, we're at home in bed kind of early. And so, you know, he's over here and I'm on a cot over here. and, And I said, hey, Bob, what's it feel like to know you're going to be racing down the Molsang tomorrow at 270 miles an hour, and last year you tumbled a car nine times over end. How fast do the 935s go down Molsang? They don't go that fast. Anyway. (laughs) Well, whatever. But that's what I said to him. Yeah. And he didn't answer. He was asleep. And I couldn't sleep. I didn't sleep all night long. And I wasn't driving. I was just hanging around. So that was my night with Garrison. Ray Hall, the following year, Ray Hall, I shared a night before the race with Ray Hall. And this is really funny. Ray Hall's way taller than I am, but we had the same waist size. And I spilled something on my pants at dinner. So we get back to the room and Ray Hall says, here, he throws me a pair of Levi's. And they're about this long, too much, too long. So I put them on and they fit, except that I had to turn the cuffs up and everything. 
Well, I took them home with me. I never returned them to Ray Hall. So I still have a pair of Ray Hall's leave <laughs> that, I, that I consider a, a great souvenir. Great guy. Totally great guy. Just like Newman, only not as famous. And I, I mean, really, and he's from Ohio, where, where I'm from. And he's, you know, a family guy. He's just a, he's a race car wacko and pretty damn good at it. Yeah. Jerry said, like, he just was like, him and his wife would just cook breakfast every morning. Yeah. They were just And, then, and then you told me that he, that you always <laughs> wanted to talk to him about cars and racing. And he would just, he just wanted to talk about his family. He just ignored the racing yeah, part. Yeah. 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 He, I, he, I don't, I forget how many kids he has, but. Doesn't he have two race driver sons? I think he does. I know he's. I so he's like the answers. He's yeah. like the reincarnation of the answers. And he was. He talked about that. I, you know, I, I said, doesn't that scare you? And he says, Well, I do it. I'm not scared. You know, if they if they're smart and they drive properly, and I'll teach them properly, then they'll be okay. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, comment, like, and share with your friends. Feel free to send questions or suggestions to the email in the description of the show. Special thanks to our sponsor, Circuit 64. Goodbye for now. We hope we can get together again for our next episode. Now get out there and enjoy the cars and the people.